If you have a copy of God's Word, our text this morning is going to be Daniel chapter 4. Daniel chapter 4, we'll be looking at verses 1 through 3. If you don't have a Bible, we should have one on the back of the pew in front of you. And the book of Daniel is in the Old Testament. It comes after uh, a large book called Ezekiel and is before the book of Hosea. So let's pray uh, before we dive into God's Word this morning. Father, we thank You again for this privilege to be able to be with Your people. We thank You that we have this ability to open Your Word. Lord, may You speak and we rest in the work of Jesus. May your people be encouraged and equipped by the help of the Spirit. And all this we ask in Christ's name. Amen. So let's read Daniel chapter 4. Daniel chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. King Nebuchadnezzar, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. It has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. How great are His signs! How mighty His wonders! His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and His dominion endures from generation to generation. This is God's Word. Here at North Hills, we believe in preaching through the Bible verse by verse. We don't skip over tough passages, but we believe the whole counsel of God's Word is a benefit to God's people. And so over the last few weeks, we've been walking through this book of Daniel. This book began with some Hebrews being brought into Babylon as Jerusalem was conquered. They were trained from a young age, but early on, the Bible points out four youth that stand out among many. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. They did not defile themselves with the king's food, and God gave them learning, skill, wisdom, and Daniel the ability to understand dreams. And so God uses Daniel to reveal King Nebuchadnezzar's dream in chapter 2. And after Daniel's interpretation, Nebuchadnezzar has no regard for this interpretation of the dream, and he makes an idol of gold and he does he does so that as as soon as people would would hear the sound of instruments he he makes this idol and then uh as people would hear these these sounds of instruments they would fall down uh, to worship the idol but there are three that do not hananiah michelle and azariah or their babylonian names shadrach meshach and abednego they do not fall down to worship this idol And so King Nebuchadnezzar cast them into the fiery furnace as Adam covered last week. Yet the three, the three Hebrews did not burn. They didn't even smell, uh, they didn't have the smell of fire on them. And there was one that joined them in the fire. And so Nebuchadnezzar then makes a decree that if anyone speaks against the God of the three Hebrews, that they should be torn limb from limb and their houses laid to waste. And Nebuchadnezzar Uh, promotes Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And this brings us to our passage this morning. 
But before we walk through this passage, I think there would be some benefit to us as we go through this this morning uh, regarding some more detail regarding the background of this passage. In the Middle Ages, uh, when, when chapter divisions and verse numbers were introduced in the Bible, the Hebrew Bible adopted a different break for these verses. And so for a time, these verses belonged to the end of chapter 3. And the argument for that break was because of what Nebuchadnezzar says about signs and wonders. And that should conclude the event of the fiery furnace. But during the Reformation, Luther and Calvin uh, changed the, chapter, changed the ta- uh, chapter divisions to where it is now. And so the reason... I'm mentioning this is because chapter 4 is clearly connected with chapter 3. And if we're going to use chapter divisions and verse numbers, I do think it is beneficial how it is currently broken down with these verses beginning chapter 4. And what we need to recognize as we read Daniel is that chapter 3 is connected to chapter 4 and chapter 5 and so on. There could be a potential poor reading of passages and an understanding of passages if we, do, if we don't see the book of Daniel as a whole and, and as a result, break it up into sections. And so for these verses, I think the problem with, with a break to some degree is, is that people have, have read these verses alone and then come to the thought that Nebuchadnezzar is truly repentant. Yet, if we look at the end of chapter 3, Babylon did not cease to worship other gods and he did not call his people to repent and turn to the one true sovereign God like the king of Nineveh did in Jonah chapter 3 verses 7 through 9. So is is Nebuchadnezzar truly repentant? On the basis of this passage, I'm I'm not convinced that he has displayed true repentance. One who has been truly repentant would implore people to, to stop the worship of idols and turn to the living God. However, in these verses before us, we do, we do see a pagan ruler that confesses truth. And it should be our prayer that our confession with our, with our lips match the confession of our hearts. We don't speak or, or sing words that we have no conviction in saying. And so as we walk through this passage this morning, we have two points. Two points this morning. Who has true authority? Who has true authority? That's verse 1. And then who deserves true adoration and praise? Who deserves true adoration or praise? Verses 2 through 3. And so, I think these questions... They, they reveal truths about this passage. But during the week, I think these are questions that can cause us to reflect upon the Lord and find our encouragement in Him. But ultimately, if you forget these, that's fine. I want us to ultimately see the God of the Bible who should be praised above all. There is none like Him. And so our triune God loves His people And those who have come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ are His people. As we walk through the Word this morning, let's rejoice in our God of heaven. So to, to point number one, 
who has true authority. Let's read verse 1 again. King Nebuchadnezzar, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. And so the way verse 1 begins with, with the phrasing of King Nebuchadnezzar, it's almost like a letter. Similar to how some of the, the New Testament letters begin, it begins with the author that is writing and, and who is speaking in the account and then goes into detail or the body of the letter. So this, this whole chapter uh, of chapter 4 is from the viewpoint of Nebuchadnezzar. It is his introduction. And who is, uh, who is he addressing? To whom is he, he addressing this? To all peoples, nations, languages that dwell in all the earth. This is, this is similar language uh, to, to verse 29 of chapter 3. Nebuchadnezzar's decree to any people, nation, or language. It's also similar to, to chapter 3, verse 4. Peoples, nations, and languages. So Nebuchadnezzar is, is acting as if Babylon rules the world when, when he uses this phrase, all peoples, nations, and languages. This is, this is his empire. They're going to claim that they're over it all, but they're not. It, it ultimately shows the pride of Babylon and they will be brought to ruin. It is the Lord who is over all of those who dwell on the earth. So what Nebuchadnezzar is declaring is much more than just news for Babylon. It is news for the whole world. It is news of the Most High God that will go to the ends of the earth. Nebuchadnezzar goes on to say this phrase, Peace be multiplied to you. So this phrase is, is giving a mention of a well-being to people. Yet, at the end of chapter 3, verse 29, he says if one rejects, they are going to be torn limb from limb. So there's a lack of awareness by Nebuchadnezzar and what he desires. And as we continue to walk through chapter 4 over the coming weeks, we're going to see more of this. And Nebuchadnezzar's inconsistencies and the Lord continuing to humble this pagan ruler. But there's, there's similarity here in, in chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. In chapter 6, verses 25 through 26. Nebuchadnezzar has seen the three Hebrews survive the fiery furnace. And in chapter 6, Darius is a witness to Daniel surviving the lion's den. Both kings of different nations send out this decree. They send out this, this message to the nations and they, they testify of what the Lord has done. And so, by, by Nebuchadnezzar having this in his introduction in these verses, something has happened. Something has happened. Something has, has caused this pagan king to rejoice. He, he voiced these things, but we are not clear if they are words of repentance or even if Nebuchadnezzar viewed the Most High God as the only God. Similarly, if you turn on the Oscars tonight, it may be similar to how an actor may accept an award and they say they want to thank God for the many blessings. Do they mean the God of the Bible or the God of their own imagination? 
or the God that they have fashioned in their own image. So this passage should, should lead us uh, for clarity of conversion and re- repentance. That's what we desire, right? Regarding conversion and repentance. Conversion is that one has been born of God. One is a new person in Christ and hating their former sin. One must be born of God to repent. And repentance is a continual confession of sin. Turning to God. Peter says in Acts chapter 3 verses 18 and 19, But what God foretold by the mouths of all the prophets that His Christ would suffer, He thus fulfilled. Repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. So one who has been converted and repentant hates sin. We behold God. We behold Him. And there is none like our triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit. One who's been born of God will turn to Him and not continue to keep up with this endless chase of false idols. One who is truly repentant will will not tell someone to continue to worship idols. They will call others to repent of sin and trust in the living God. And this is not just a persuasion. In Acts chapter 26, Paul stands before King Agrippa. And Paul speaks of his conversion. And in verse 28 of chapter chapter 26 of Acts, Agrippa says to Paul, in a short time, Would you persuade me to be a Christian? Persuasion is not conversion. We would be minimizing what biblical repentance and conversion is if we we settle on a uh, mere persuasion. And we live in a day in which there is still much lip service. One honors the Lord by their words, but not by their hearts. Jesus is Savior but not Lord over their lives. The true Christians have been radically transformed by Jesus and are new people in Him. We are not just mere people of lip service. For believers in Jesus, He is not just a good person that had lots of wisdom. Jesus is Savior and Lord. And so Christians are a continually repenting people who have been born anew. Jesus responds to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And some of you may be thinking, well, I'm too far gone. Did Jesus really die in the place of sinners? Friends, if you are not in Christ, come to Him. Come to the King of Heaven. Richard, Richard Sibbs said that there is more mercy in Christ than sin in us. He is merciful to those who come to Him. And we come in grace now. In Him, in Him, we are happy and whole. And by trusting in Christ, there is peace and well-being. And in this case of Nebuchadnezzar, It seems that he is using the Most High God as an add-on 
to his assembly of deities. But we know that God is using Nebuchadnezzar to, to accomplish his good purposes. So Nebuchadnezzar is, is trying to, to make this declaration to the nations. But what news? What news are Christians to be heralding among the nations? Are we to repeat everything a leader of a nation says? The church, those in Christ, have been given a decree by the sovereign King of Heaven to declare to all peoples, nations, and languages. We don't go around ripping people's limbs as Nebuchadnezzar would have one do if you look at chapter 3, verse 29. We proclaim good news to all. What is the good news? What is the gospel? Friends, we have all committed cosmic treason against the King of all. We have sinned against Him. We were dead in our sins with no hope. But God, who is rich in mercy, sent Jesus, the second person of our triune God. Jesus is truly God. Jesus took on flesh. He is truly man. He lived perfectly and did not sin. He died a substitutionary death upon the cross. In our place, condemned, He stood. He died in the place of sinners bearing God's wrath as we have just sung. But He did not stay in the grave. He rose again on the third that those who believe in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. Those in Christ have gone from being dead in sin to being made alive in Him. This is the good news. This is the Gospel of God. Jesus saves sinners. And so this Gospel, this good news, Christians are called to declare it to the world. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18-20, through 20, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The great commission is given by the Lord. Christians go to their neighbors and to the nations under His authority. We don't go under our own authority. We don't proclaim news and tear people's limbs off if they reject it. We preach Christ and God will bring His people to behold Him. And the Christian will die whenever the Lord wills. We will quit breathing whenever He wills. He has us in His grip. And so some of us may go to the nations. Some of us may plant churches. Some of us may be regular moms and dads. Some of us may be faithful workers of the harvest. But every single Christian will live as long as the Lord wills. And we will work diligently in sharing this news. And we will rest in Him. And one day, we will see Him face to face. And as we think about the Great Commission, 
Do we pray for leaders to respond like Nebuchadnezzar did? Do we pray for leaders to speak truth that comes from a pierced heart? Like those in Acts chapter 2, verse 37, they heard Peter's sermon and they were cut to the heart. Do we pray for leaders in various countries to have their hearts changed by the power of God? Do we pray for leaders like Vladimir Putin and, and Justin Trudeau that they don't abound in wickedness but repent? Putin recently said in a speech regarding the Russia and Ukraine war, he quoted John chapter 15, verse 13, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. So that is a misuse of Scripture. But do we pray that whoever's advising him keeps on reading the Word? Do we pray like Tyndall confessed at his death, Lord, open up the eyes of the King of England. Friends, we should pray that whoever it may be, leaders of nations or average citizens, may they come to the living God in grace now or they will receive just judgment later because He is the one who has true authority. That leads us to our second point this morning. Who deserves true adoration? praise who deserves true adoration and praise let's read verses two and three again it has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the most high god has done for me how great are his signs how mighty his wonders his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion endures from generation to generation so verse two begins with this phrase, it seemed good to me, or it is my pleasure. You think Nebuchadnezzar worked for Chick-fil-A. But it shows, that this phrase shows that God used Nebuchadnezzar as a vessel, but ultimately, it's about God's glory and His good purposes. As Psalm chapter 115, verse 3 says, Our God is in the heavens. He does all that He pleases. So God uses Nebuchadnezzar as a vessel to display His good purposes for the care of His people and revealed to Nebuchadnezzar who the true sovereign is. But how much more should one who is born of God declare the glory of God for the pleasure of God? It should be the Christian's pleasure to declare to the world what God has done. We are not ashamed. He has sought us and bought us by the blood of His Son. Friends, the world cannot fix the world's problems. So those who have been transformed by Christ, those who have been born of God, must preach the good news we must preach the good news to the ends of the earth and these miracles and wonders signs and wonders 
in this, in this verse is similar to the wording used in the Exodus account. God revealed to those in Exodus who the true deity and sovereign is. Exodus chapter 7, verses 3, 3 through 5 says, But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my hosts, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel among them. So these, these signs and wonders, these miracles, demonstrated the Lord's power. And God has demonstrated these things to bring glory to Himself among phony rulers. So from the plagues in Egypt to crossing the Red Sea, from Elijah and the prophets of Baal, but particularly in this book, Nebuchadnezzar has been witness to, to dreams that have come true. And we will see more in this chapter, in chapter 4. But last week, as we looked at Daniel, Daniel chapter 3, in the fiery furnace, Nebuchadnezzar has seen the power of God on display. God did not have to save the three Hebrews, yet chose to do so in His good pleasure. And then Nebuchadnezzar has, has seen the, the sovereignty and power of the one true God. This God of heaven and earth. He is not made and fashioned by human hands. We don't fashion Him or make Him in our minds. Our God is the sovereign, consistent King of heaven. His rule and authority has never wavered. He is not challenged. He is not challenged. He is the King of all. And so verse 3 begins with how great are His signs and how mighty are His wonders. There's a repetition uh, with with verse 3 from verse 2. God reveals who He is. He has shown great signs and mighty wonders. He's the revealer of dreams and the one who cares for His people in the midst of death. And so men and women are without excuse. Throughout the Gospel of John, Jesus does signs and wonders to display that He is the Christ. He's the Messiah. He's the the promised one of old. In John chapter 4, there was an official whose son was ill. And so in verses 48 through 51, it, it tells of their interaction. And Jesus said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The, officials, the, the official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. And as he was going down, his servants met him and told him, that his son was recovering. Do you want do you want to have peace with the God of heaven? He has done miraculous works and wonders. And one of the greatest miracles is one being born again, one being born of God. If you want everlasting peace, Everlasting rest. Come to Christ. 
But if you rest in yourself, you will have an eternal restlessness in hell. God will pour out his just wrath upon those who do not turn from sin and run to Christ. So in these verses, Nebuchadnezzar gives praise to what God has done and then gives praise of God's rule. Verse 3 ends with, His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and His dominion endures from generation to generation. Some say this passage is a direct quotation of Psalm chapter 145, verse 13, which says, Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. Some argue that Nebuchadnezzar was pointing out this Psalm of David. But either way, there is a recognition in this passage that God's kingdom is eternal. He is declaring that the Lord's kingdom is different. There is some realization that God's kingdom is greater than His own kingdom. And there is an eternal kingdom, and Babylon ate it. Human kingdoms rise and fall to the definite plan of the Lord. Nations will come and go, but the kingdom of God is forever. We are not building our own kingdoms. If you're trying to build something that will outlast the kingdom of God, you will fail. We had a point of creation. God was, is, and will be. He is self-existent and not in need of anything. Yet even atheists are dependent upon the Lord to exist. So spend your time, efforts, resources, thoughts, motives on things that will last. We can't bring our social media pages, our cars, houses, finances, or our nice tea set with us when we die. Worldly things will perish and fade. So trying to build our own kingdoms that last is like building a castle in the sand only waiting for it to be knocked down by the ocean's tide. The Lord's rule, the Lord's kingdom is forever. In the hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, written by Martin Luther, it says, That word, above all earthly powers, No thanks to them abideth. The Spirit and the gifts are ours through Him who with us sideth. Let goods and kindred go. This mortal life also. The body they may kill. God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. Many of us are familiar with the challenges that Martin Luther faced from Rome. But he wrote this in the midst of a plague that that killed many in his day. And so, beloved, the Lord's kingdom, the Lord's kingdom is forever. A plague or a pandemic can't stop it. Pagan rulers can't stop it. Those from Rome can't stop it. Putin cannot stop it. 
Trudeau cannot stop it. Our government can't stop it. The power of the gospel will and shall prevail. The Lord's kingdom is forever. So in this passage, King Nebuchadnezzar voices praise to the Lord for what he has done. And Nebuchadnezzar, through the first few chapters in Daniel, has been a vessel that God has used to show a dream and displayed His power in the fiery furnace. Nebuchadnezzar recognizes that the Lord's kingdom is different. But may our confession with our lips match the confession of our hearts. We only get one life and it will soon pass. Only what is done for Christ will last. Let's pray. Our King of Heaven, we pray that Your Word goes forth and You draw people to repentance and to trust and to rest in the Lord Jesus. Father, may North Hills Remain steadfast and faithful in proclaiming the good news. And may we continue together in singing your redeeming grace. May it be our theme until we see you face to face. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.